1: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt
2: Shirley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. If you like the podcast, you'll love the radio show. It's the same, but three times as long. Uh, you can listen to it on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or on the Times Radio app, uh, wherever you get your apps from and all of that. Uh, but every day here on the podcast, we bring you the best of the show. We bring you our big thing. And our columnist panel today—the big thing, because it's Wednesday—is of course PMQs unpacked. Tim Shipman and I pausing the action from the House of Commons as Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer go at it. Uh, before that, though, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. And on a Wednesday, it's Alibert—the columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson, and Robert Crampton. That's the fish. On Times Radio. Even you are fish-related, yeah. Are. <laughs> I just like to take credit for that
3: text, by the way. Which one? As no one else
2: has. Oh, well, that's <laughs> yeah. so good. Because Robert
3: was going to first, because that's what men do—they just yeah. take credit for everything.
2: But now you're sheep eating. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. um, <laughs> fish discos, uh, flashing lights attract scallops. Apparently, that's the that's the that's the story. And yeah, like a jumping jack sprat is very good. Uh, she moves in mysterious ways. Anyway, mm. anyway, songs songs for a fish disco. Uh, let's talk about um, farming, then, not fishing. Alex. you've written about farming today. Speed the ploughs. Farmers need our support. We don't talk about farming enough.
3: Well, actually, yes, because there's a new book out by George Monbiot, who is an environmentalist, who is saying that they are evil personified. And actually, the worst thing that's happened in the last 2,000 years has been farmers, which in a way is extraordinary because they have fed us for it's the, the last 2,000
2: yeah. years. was slightly overlooking. Where does he get his food from? George. Well, he would like to get his food from... That's a different question. Bacteria.
3: <laughs> I think he calls them bacteria pancakes. That's
2: what he's like. Oh, you might a...
3: like them too. And actually, it would solve the obesity crisis, because none of us would want to eat them very much.
2: That sounds horrible. Um, but his point, um, do you do you think farmers... I mean, you know, living in Devon, farmers get quite a hard time already, don't they? There's a sort of... And actually, farming farming, Facebook and Twitter, they have always sort of tried to launch fightbacks. Actually, their cows farting are not the big mm. cause of
3: And they can have seaweed if they fart. I think the real problem with farming at the moment is they are under such attack from almost every direction. And I think 10 years ago, you probably could have said, yes, they're in a bad place. Um, there's been soil erosion, they are using too many fertilizers, they are damaging the streams, they're damaging the environment. But there's been such a change with farmers now. They do get that, they do begin, I and mean, they understand now they are the custodians of the countryside. Many of them always have been. Many of them know far more about the countryside than any of the environmentalists because they've lived on the land, their families have lived on the land for generations. And so I think actually this idea that, that they're everything that's wrong with Britain. It, is very damaging because I think we need them. We particularly need them now. You look at Ukraine. If you don't have farmers yeah. in Britain and we import everything, we're going to find it harder and harder.
2: Because <laughs> actually one of the things is that we it's not that we rely on lots of grain from Ukraine. It's that chickens. other countries do. Mm. And uh, that's what's driving up the the. We, re- uh, we rely on the soya to feed yeah. chickens, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, um, Robert, one of the things, you know, one of the, the... Because some people say, well, lots of farmers, not all of them, but lots of farmers back Brexit because they didn't like all the red tape that came from the mm-hmm. EU. And actually, what the government seems to be doing instead is doing lots of trade deals which which basically screw the farmers. Yeah, I mean, with the, with Australia. So yeah. you get a situation where, a ridiculous situation
4: where you're importing meat 10,000 miles because uh, it's a little bit cheaper. Uh, yeah, I don't understand George Monbiot's point about agriculture. I, th- I always thought, agriculture was this kind of basis of human civilization, that We were able to feed, you know, feed more than do more than sustain it than just sustain our own families and that caused kind of population growth and cities and all good, yeah. things, good things like that. And from just reading Alice's column, it seems that he wants the countryside not to be about food production but about kind of wild areas, which are, I don't really kind of get either. You know, I mean, uh, I don't think people really want this. I mean, I think rewilding is good within within certain yeah. good parameters, but,
2: but
3: you, know, at time of you time want to be able to
4: be reasonably self-sufficient in food as well. You want
3: to th- be able to balance it. I mean, that's what's mm. extraordinary is that the country is big enough, actually, to be able to have their areas where you can yeah, have food sure. production and mm-hmm. their... Um, areas where you can have wilding and rewilding and then there are urban areas but actually you mm. can merge some of those as well so I rather like the fact that Hyde Park during the war was turned over to allotments so everyone yeah, just yeah. grew their own veg there and there could be more of that we have a lot of fake lawns and a lot of oh. gardens that really aren't very productive I've been on a waiting
2: list for an allotment for 23 years now my, I, I can tell you my, my potatoes have just started poking through oh really <laughs> and it is quite you can't see and I was going to say I, <laughs> I didn't realise I, I
4: thought it was your trousers and that way.
2: But but um, at a time when we're talking about cost of living <laughs> crisis, rising food prices, well, you know, if we had more more, if we grew more of our own stuff here, and people were more aware of where their food came from, and it's it. I suppose it's nice to be able to say we should be buying local and buying British and all that. But if you are stood in a supermarket and you're um, trying to, you know, basically put food on the table, then um, you know that that's you know, there's a tension there as well, isn't there?
3: Yeah, So the supermarkets have a lot to blame because they actually drive down the prices and they make mm. it very difficult for farmers to survive. If if we could, what we should be doing, as James Dyson said, who is the biggest farmer actually in Britain, he was saying if only we could just sell direct because what happens is that the supermarkets are taking too much of the money and and they're driving up the inflation. There's a bit of problems. that going on with
4: farm shops and so on, aren't they? I mean, they are a big, real phenomenon over the last decade or so, the rise of the farm shop. Yeah. Uh, whenever I go to the countryside, I'm amazed at that, that, uh, the size and... Prevalence of farm shops. Yeah, I
2: was. I was down in Somerset so the weekend, and there's, there's, just outside Yovon Now there, there's a place saying buffalo cheese. Right. Okay. You're just
4: and that's on the great. side of the road. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's what we want yeah. the
3: farmers to do. We want them to diversify. And actually, they should be. If they can, they can have you know camping in the garden and you know and try and, and try and find other ways of making money. But in the end, they are food producers as yeah. well as looking after the environment. And we need need them to carry on yeah. producing food for us.
2: And I suppose there is also a difference between... There are lots of farmers... Farm, the farmers aren't... Some of my best friends are farmers. Uh, uh, <laughs> Your so, uncles are farmers. Some right? of my uncles are farmers, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and aunties. Yeah, anyway. Um, there were the ones who genuinely care about... what You know, there's, there's the, the sort of the super farm. I think it's really easy to do mm-hmm. a documentary, where you go undercover in a big warehouse where some chickens are treated terribly and think that that is what happens in all farms. Yeah. And actually, there are lots and lots of farmers who care massively about their animals, treat them incredibly mm. you know, well... Um, and try to then make a living at the same time. It partly
4: depends on the terrain. I mean, where, where, you, yeah. where you two are familiar with, as I understand it, there's much more small land, land ownership yeah, yeah. because of the nature of the terrain, in Somerset, Devon, around there. Where I'm from, uh, East Yorkshire, flat, massive, massive agribusiness yeah. farms like Lincolnshire, East Yorkshire, Norfolk, and so on. And that's what, I think that's when people think about baddie farmers. That's yeah. that's who they're... Well,
2: all the hedges have been taken There's out. No it's hedges and everything's leaching, into, leaching, leaching, and
4: leaching into the rivers. And, uh, yeah, I think they're the, they're the, the problems. And, uh, and intensive uh, pig farming, intensive chicken farming and so on. Turkey farming in Norfolk.
2: And what about the politics of this, um, Alice? Because um, uh, the, the impression I get is that farmers aren't massively... You know, normally the countryside and farmers would think the Tories are on their side. That was definitely the pitch before 2010 when they were in opposition. You know, we understand the countryside and mm. we understand farming. Is that your sense that is there, that connection? Is is George Eustace the champion of farming they'd hoped?
3: No, I think they've got a real problem there. So before every election, all the candidates always end up going on country file and suddenly remember they've got lots of
2: farming communities. Exactly, in their brand new wellies. <laughs> and
3: I think they always do try at the very last minute to get the farming vote, but everyone assumes that it's Tory and I just don't think that's true anymore. Yeah. I think they're so angry now at how they've been left. They haven't, their subsidies are being changed, and that's fine, but they haven't said what they're going to do with them. They've been left very much in limbo in the last few years since Brexit. And the majority did vote for Brexit, but you know, yeah. there's a large majority that didn't as well. And they, they, they just want to get on with it now, I think. And they don't really know whether they're going to be able to exist in the next few years. And books like this, which talk about let's just get rid of all farmers, makes them even more nervous.
4: Yeah, I mean, the NFU used to be one of those, you were taught that that was the, one of the major lobbies influencing yeah. the Tory party, like the Brewers or the Church yeah, of yeah. England or something. And things have changed. I yeah. mean, now it's you know Russian oligarchs. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, seriously. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The
2: sort of people who've got the ear of the modern Conservative Party are, are not what it. Not what you know. And actually, um, in lots of cases, um, far, uh, people with lots of money—not necessarily oligarchs, but sort of hedge fund managers—are the ones who are buying up farms. You know, where council yeah. have to sell farms off, and that sort of thing. Which just puts then more pressure on the on the farmers to to not necessarily cut corners, but to s- try and squeeze even more out. And that's you know probably ends up doing the things that. George Monbiot's cross about. Is he he's a man who's cross about everything, isn't he? A bit. Well,
3: yes, I think that's the problem. I think he may have exaggerated slightly to sell the book, do we think?
2: No. Well, let's stop talking do people about it? Do that. <laughs> to people <talk>. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anyone else who's got a book out, Alice?
3: <gasps> oh, maybe I have Have you, Robert?
4: No, I haven't, Alice. Not often not than my last one, which sold <laughs> poorly. <laughs> yeah. It's only a collection of columns, so...
2: Oh, it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. it's right, like yeah. an
4: afternoon, just clipping them together. Yeah, exactly. Why would people pay
2: ten quid for something they've already yeah, read? Yeah, but Alice has just clipped together some podcasts. <laughs> <then. laughs> no,
3: interviews, too. Interviews
2: as well, yeah. It's a marvellous book. It is marvellous. Yeah. Have you got one?
4: Uh, yeah, I actually have got one, yeah. I, n- I nicked it off my colleague's desk. He did on the desk.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I actually paid for mine. Well done. Yeah. No, I will pay for it. <laughs> <them. laughs> I'll pay for one and I'll get it signed. Exactly, I've got some signed pay. Oh, lovely. Oh, lovely. Add some white wine and some crisps and everything. We might
3: have to say what it's called, actually. Oh, now. yeah,
2: go on then. It's
3: called What I Wish I'd Known When I Was Young and it's with Rachel Sylvester.
2: And it is, it is very good. And it's 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 not just politicians, but but people who have been successful in a whole range of fields talking about the impact of childhood. Quite often terrible things happened to them as a child and how that drove them on or in some way affected exactly. their lives.
3: And we've got Nadeem Sahawi this afternoon, actually. We're doing a, it as a podcast because he came over before he became Education Secretary, aged nine from Iraq. So he's a mm. classic example yeah, of someone yeah. who did absolutely brilliantly from a very difficult start.
2: Absolute love. There we are. Marvelous. Enough plugging. Oh, go on then, let's plug about... We've got to talk about your column now, Robert. It's More, not the, really the same, is it, given it was published yesterday? Well, you know...
5: <laughs> Would you go, like me to explain
3: go. his column for him?
2: Oh... <laughs> <laughs> that's woman splaining. That's woman's explaining. Go on then. Um, uh, first it was uh, man spreading. Yeah, man spreading was all the time Yeah. And now there's man interrupting. No, then there's man interrupting.
4: Man interrupting. Uh, and now there's something called he peating, which is a really difficult one. Or it's also known as bro propriating which is funnily Even enough worse. not really caught on. He peating is when a woman comes up with an idea. Uh, in a meeting or so on, and it's ignored. And then about a minute later, a man comes up (laughs) with the same idea and everyone goes, well, What a brilliant idea. Yeah, and uh, women, not only women, uh, but mostly women, are familiar with this. I'm sure you are, Alice. Uh, And I wrote about that a bit. Was this originally your
2: idea, Alice? (laughs) I (laughs) promised you
3: to. Although I have to say now that neither of you two do that. There are a couple of people in the office who do, but you definitely don't do
2: it. What, where you've said...
3: When women say something... And then, probably a minute or two later, the man yeah. does quite often yeah. say it in quite a sort of confident, loud way, which you probably haven't said confidently. I think it's about confidence. It over you, yes.
4: And it's because it certainly happened to me when I was younger and like less. I don't think it's exclusively a male female thing. I think it's a well. I was wondering that
2: because I wondered whether it's just some people are just annoying and they mm. do it to everyone, and maybe it's slightly, it's done slightly more to women because. You know, women are just less for, confident in nature. To, to yeah. call them out, and so yeah. what well, just said that? Yeah,
3: I think it's also to do with your voice, isn't it? Because women's voices are higher, and I think mm-hmm. they were not always in tune with it They say that men don't actually listen to women's voices in the same way. So maybe. Sorry, what? I Sorry, was <laughs> <saying? laughs> <laughs> Got there first, product. Yeah, you did
2: just. Uh,
3: I, I was quite... Is, 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 this is just
2: a new word for an old phenomenon, though, isn't it? I feel like there's even been, like, comedy sketches on this.
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. This is... Yeah, this is pretty old. I and mean, it's not even a very good word, is it? Heap eating. When I was first asked to do it, I thought it was heap eating. So I thought, oh, they're going to ask me... There's some new, wacky new diet you... Yeah, like where
2: compost heap. You eat your own yeah, compost. Or there's
4: just... You put all your... There's a new diet where you put all, the, all your food in one big pile and... You, <laughs> <laughs> you you eat it with a ladle, and this kind of makes helps you lose one, weight. Or one meal something. a day, you
2: just eat one. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Heap eating—that's
4: definitely a thing. And I thought, brilliant. That's quite a good. That's not a bad commission. But no, it's heap eating, uh, which is I don't. I can't see it lasting, t- standing the test of time. It, do- it doesn't.
2: Yeah, man spreading. Man spreading seems to. work. Well,
4: yeah, I mean they sort of work. They're not really puns, but they sort of people sort of know what they mean. Yeah. Although I always thought man spreading was deeply unfair because there's a reason that men, you know. Put uh, legs slightly apart, which we—it's because the
2: potatoes are <laughs> exactly <laughs> are poking <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and... <Right. laughs> let's move on. Maths. This is this now, This is interesting. So um, this is a former Bank of England chief economist, Andy Haltane, yeah. says maths should be called numeracy. Yeah. to make it less academic and scary. Councillor despair, really, isn't it? From well, the, the
3: yeah, accounting. I actually agree with him though to a certain extent because no. I think now with inflation and. House prices and mortgages. I think more than ever we're desperate for maths, and most people haven't got it. And you yep. go into the supermarket now and you're making really quick calculations, and I can't do it actually. I can't yep. work but out. Is that
2: not an argument for changing what we teach in maths rather than worrying about what we call it? Yes.
3: Yeah, I think the, what we call it doesn't really matter, but I do think we need to get a grip.
2: <laughs> maths, maths doesn't sound particularly
4: scary or academic to me. It just sounds no, like that, it's maths. Just maths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas numeracy, Yeah, I mean, we all should be, I mean, in the so far as educated, the the maths that you get at school is not necessarily primarily concerned with being numerate about daily life as an adult.
2: It's then, yeah, maybe it should be a little bit more
5: uh, And I think maybe my
2: daughter, when she was at primary school, they made an effort to call it numeracy. Mm. And all it made me think was, no, she means maths. I
4: think. I mean, yes. it's, it's, no, yeah, there was another
3: one called the number bond they did. Yeah. Do you remember? That was totally. That was just throwing two dice. It was just but, numbers up to six. Wasn't I think.
4: It? It, but the guy's basic point that we should all be more numerate is obviously is a good one. Correct. Yeah. And that there's an awful lot of uh, educated, intellectual people who kind of rejoice in their innumeracy in a way that they wouldn't dream of saying. You know, they hadn't read such and such a book. They're quite careful to maintain an ignorance of. Uh, Numbers and yeah. yeah, and I think science, that's particularly British so that
3: we don't really like talking yeah, about. Yeah, that,
4: it's that's two cultures thing that's been done again, nothing new under the sun. Uh,
2: and to, if we should end that, yes, it's uh, yeah, but one of those, whenever you if you are, it's like the inverse of uh, of your book, a bit, Alice to plug it again, but it's a sort of what if you ever asking me what do you wish you'd been taught at school, personal finance, pensions, mm. yeah, um, uh, how, how credit cards work, <laughs> cooking, mortgages. Yeah. All that sort of life, how maths actually works in life.
3: So that's my problem. is The only thing my children know about inflation is because they all did the Weimar Republic after for yeah. GCSE. <laughs> so wheel, they, they wheel, talk about wheelbarrows. Wheelbarrows of Deutschmarks. So they them. didn't really know what inflation <laughs> yeah. was. They would just talk about wheelbarrows of, of money. And then yeah. now the 21 year old is really freaking about his, you know, how much it costs to eat, how much it costs yeah, to heat yeah. the hats. He thinks know.
4: he's going to need a wheelbarrow.
3: And he thinks yes. And he's like, what is you know, what is happening? I thought he <laughs> the should. Young have people, been they taught. can't even afford
2: a wheelbarrow. Can no, they probably don't know what a wheelbarrow is.
3: But they do need to know basic maths. Because they're don't not they?
2: farmers. They're not farmers. <laughs> they need more farmers. Yeah. They should be taught about wheelbarrows yeah. and how much they cost.
3: And farmers are very <laughs> good at <laughs> maths because they have to do it.
2: Yeah. Exactly. But there are lots of jobs where. You're using maths all <laughs> the time. Yeah. Darts players. Fantastic. No,
4: and I noticed this with the snooker. The yeah. calculations they're making incredible, really quick. It's true.
2: <laughs> and, and darts. Yeah. So what do I A snooker table in every school? Yeah. And a and dartboard. dartboard. Yeah. A dartboard in every school. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Uh, right, I'm glad we've sorted that out. Always And gamblers, this. of course. Gambling. Not, let's, not let's not teach gambling in schools. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, okay. <laughs> Always nice to see you both. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton Then, of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
2: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
1: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airports, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
2: You're listening to the Red Box podcast now. It's time for this. PMQs unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire.
6: Order! Order! I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes,
2: a very good afternoon to you. It's Matt Chorley here on Times Radio, the PMQ's Unpacked. Uh, Tim Shipman is here. Hello. Uh, You can go online right now to uh, YouTube. You can search, uh, go on YouTube, search Times Radio, and you can watch along uh, as we uh, prepare for... uh, We've not had it for three weeks, three weeks since we last... We've had a bit of time. We last gathered. Uh, Quite a lot has happened in that time. Uh, the cost of living crisis, the local election results, Keir Starmer saying he would resign. Um, what do you think will come up today?
5: Well, I'd be surprised if it's not probably a cost of living focus um, for Labour with uh, inflation rising um, and hints that the government's looking at the idea of a windfall tax, which Labour has been pushing for some time, uh, a tax on the, the sort of excess profits of the of the energy companies. Um, I would have thought Starmer would want to uh, jump all over that. Um the local election results were a bit of a mixed bag for both sides, um, and the sleaze stuff is also uh, slightly problematic sometimes to, to sort of make political capital out of that. So I would have thought the safe terrain and the, and the terrain he's really going to want to hammer for the next two years um, is, is cost of living. Um, do you think that, the, given that every time the Prime Minister is asked about this, he seems to set a hair running?
2: Of want, You know, we will do more. And then, you know, in the coming days, then the Treasury had to hose it down. Uh, do, you, do you think we might actually get something concrete today?
5: Uh, that would be very surprising, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think everybody knows roughly what the state of play is, which is that the government isn't going to do anything on tax um, uh, until the autumn, um, but they're looking at uh, other measures they might take in the meantime. Um, uh, but uh, Boris Johnson's old chum, Dominic Cummings, was on, uh, on Twitter a couple of days ago saying whenever he has sort of... Uh, a meeting about this stuff, he cannot help blurting out that uh, uh, the, the sort of the contents of it, um, and that's what he appeared to do. Um, surprising everybody um, last time round um, by saying they would do more, but um, that's pretty baked in. And if you read the papers this morning, virtually every conceivable thing that you might do <laughs> has been speculated about. And Rishi Sunak yesterday said nothing is off the table, which I'm afraid gives. Uh, journalists with nothing better to do, um, uh, the licence to write about pretty well any measure they want. There's a risk in that, though, isn't there, from uh, Richard Janak's point of view. Unless he gets on with it and says what he is going to do,
2: when he does get to do what he's going to do, it's going to seem underwhelming, given that, which, so far, well, every possible thing is, has been flooded. Which is
5: what it happened with the spring statement. You know, I mean, the bloke announced that he was going to cut income tax two years down the line. Um, well, that loses you the impact of cutting it two years down the line. Um and makes people wonder why he couldn't just get on and do it. I mean, my strong suspicion is that he will cut income tax this autumn, um, which I see is an idea that has um, uh, developed a following wind this morning. Um, the Treasury is guiding people away, but <laughs> there's guiding and there's uh, telling. Don't be so silly. Well, um, I was.
2: I thought that something. I saw someone saying this morning. I, I, Treasury sources tell me to you know guide me away from as if they're going to announce a tax, formally announce a tax cut.
5: Yeah, I mean, if they come at you with a cricket bat and batty around the head, then you take that as a denial. If they guide you away, you take that as them trying to put you to the side until they make the decision. And frankly, I suspect most of these decisions haven't been made. Uh, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak have been having a lot of one-on-ones and uh, there are quite a small number of people who... in those rooms um, at the same time and uh, quite a small number of people actually know what's likely to happen <laughs> um, and not all of them are speaking to the national newspapers this morning you could well wait for right. the sunday times wait and we'll try and t- cut our way although through although obviously the times is also very good uh,
2: <laughs> uh very good well if you are watching along on uh youtube hello to mark in brum uh, hello from sunny Yorkshire just so someone else good afternoon from sunny brum Hi from Bangkok, says Ian. Morning from upstate New York, says Candia. And then uh, Toby Ealingworth says hello from Lviv. And I thought, that can't be right, can it? But it turns out, I think it might be the Toby Ealingworth, who's a local Conservative Party chair, who's been in, uh, trying to um, set people up uh, for uh, refugees looking to come to Ukraine. So maybe, maybe that is you, Toby. So hello, hello if you are. Uh, you can go online to uh, YouTube and uh, watch along. Uh, right, now we go live to the House of Commons. It's PMQ's Pat. It's question one from Keir Starmer. Yeah.
6: Mr Speaker, I, too, send my best wishes to Rangers. It's quite an extraordinary story, actually, over the last few years for that football club. Mr Speaker, a one-off tax on huge oil and tax profits would raise billions of pounds cutting energy bills across the country. The Chancellor rightly says there are two camps on this. You're either for it or you're against it. Uh, But which camp does the Chancellor put himself in? He says, uh, neither. (laughs) Well, I'm in favour of it. The question for the Prime Minister is, is he for it, is he against it, or is he sitting on the fence like
7: his Chancellor? Prime Minister. Uh, Well, uh, Mr Speaker, I I think – I just remind the House that the Right Honourable Gentleman struggled uh, to define what a woman was. He came, so he could, he if he couldn't make up his mind on that point, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, heaven help us. Uh, but uh, look, uh, this, this government is not in principle in favour of higher taxation. Uh, of course not. Uh, but what, what we want to do, what, we don't want to put, they, of course they, want, they love it, they love it, Mr Speaker, they love putting up taxes. Oh, don't spot, do spot, Labour meow, uh, Labour puts up, taxes. Tax Me out. Labour put up, Taxes. Uh, what we what we want to do, what we want to do, is take a sensible approach governed by the impact on investment and jobs. Mr. Speaker. And that is the the test of a strong economy. And it's by having a strong economy that we'll be able to look after people as we have done during COVID and as we will do in the aftershocks of COVID. And I'm proud to say, Mr. Speaker, that this week it was revealed that unemployment has come down to the lowest level since 1974, (laughs) when I was 10 years old, Mr. Speaker. I don't know how old he was, but I was 10 years old. Yes, sir.
2: well, there's a lot of, they already there to unpack Tim Shipman. Yes. Um, uh, so, um, Keir Starmer says, are you for or against a windfall tax on oil and gas companies? Boris Johnson says, you don't know what a woman
5: is. Uh, yeah. Um, well, look, this is what we're going to get a lot of. That's politics. That is politics. You know, um, that, Thing cuts through in focus groups, and a lot of people think it's all a bit ridiculous. Um, it's obviously a highly charged subject. Um, uh, the issue of trans rights, and um, it's one where the Labour Party tie themselves in knots a little bit. So Boris Johnson will keep having fun with that. Um, what I think you did see at the end of that was at least you know the nuts and bolts of Boris Johnson's actual argument, which is um. That Labour will put up your taxes. In principle, we don't want to. Um, brackets, but that, we're keeping the door open on this one. Um, but unemployment is the best card that the Tories have got. If you go back to the last time we had um, sort of stagflation in the 1970s and early 80s, unemployment was absolutely massive, um, and this time round it isn't. Um, And that may just mean uh, that this government is able to ride out a pretty sticky uh, situation uh, more easily um, than those previous governments did, both of which, uh, you know, the the 1970s Labour government effectively fell over it and Margaret Thatcher's government was teetering on the very edge um, until the Falklands War kind of saved her. Um, So that's what you're really going to hear. Boris Johnson's argument, you know, people are in work, people are in jobs and a bit of culture wars on the side. <laughs> a bit of culture wars on the side. Uh, yeah, that's uh,
2: that's exactly what someone has just said on the, on, uh, the YouTube. Uh, back on the culture wars to avoid answering. He also enjoyed dogs bark, Labour meow, uh, and then cats meow, and then
5: Labour put up taxes. The other thing that caught my eye was um, right at the beginning where um, Keir Starmer was hailing the performance of Rangers Football Club. Labour desperately trying to claw their way back in Scotland, and interesting that he... Uh, bothered to try and get a soundbite in on that as as well. As
2: Glenn has pointed out, Keir Starmer begins with his good wishes uh, for Glasgow Rangers, making the rookie mistake of alienating half of Scotland's voters. So it swings and roundabouts all of that. Uh, And Matt says, I can't overstate how much I don't care about the definition of a man or a woman. I suspect that there are probably quite a lot of people in that uh, camp uh, who think there are other uh, more important things to talk about, but um, other people will take different views. Eight seven 2, start start of the word times. If you want to post, uh, let me know what you uh, think. Uh, post comments. Go online to uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, but right, we might
6: go back. It's question number two. PMQs. Mr. Speaker, hang on. Last week he said we'll have a look at it. Yesterday he voted against it. Anyone picking up the papers today would think they're for it, and now he says he's against it again clear as mud. To be fair, it is not like the rest of his Cabinet know what they think either. The same day the Chancellor said it was something he was looking at, the Justice Secretary said it would be disastrous. The Business Secretary called it a bad idea, but also said he would consider a Spanish-style windfall tax. One minute they are ruling it in, the next they are ruling it out. When would he stop the hokey-cokey and just back Labour's plan for a windfall tax to cut household bills?
2: Mr. on the front because bench. Because Next plans Johnson. are
7: always and everywhere to raise taxes on business, and that's... Oh! That's what. That's what they did. I remember them campaigning. I remember him campaigning in 2019, nineteen, Mr Speaker, on the biggest taxes for business that this country has ever seen. That's that, that's their instinct. Now look, oh, this, this 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 country and the, the world faces uh, problems in the cost of energy, driven partly by COVID and partly by Putin's war of choice in Ukraine. And we know, we always knew, that there would be a, a short-term cost. In uh, weaning ourselves off Putin's hydrocarbons and in sanctioning the Russian economy, everybody in this house voted for those sanctions. We knew we knew that it would be tough, but I just want to tell the right honourable gentleman that giving in, giving in, not sticking the course would ultimately be the far greater economic risk. Uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Of course, of course, Mr. Speaker, we will look. Uh, we will look at measures and uh, we will look at all the measures that we need to take, uh, Mr. Speaker, to get people through to the other side. But Mr. Speaker, the only reason we can do that is because we took the tough decisions that were necessary during the pandemic, which would not have been possible if we'd listened to him.
2: i just pause it uh, there. Uh, Of course, we will look at all the measures that we need to take to get people through to the other side.
5: Yes, which means we're definitely thinking about it. We might well do it, but we're not going to give you the satisfaction of saying so. you know, some good um, good bit of work by his team there, trotting out all the different phrases that um, different ministers have come out with, who, of course, haven't got a clue what Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak are up to either, <laughs> and they don't know whether they're supposed to be in favour of yeah. it or against it at this point. Um, but it was all just a little bit laboured again, wasn't it? The hokey-cokey and all this kind of thing. It all, it's all a bit Heidi High in um, 1985. And um, it's a bit flat, but uh,
2: Keirson was not whipping his own side up into a frenzy. No. Uh, which was definitely... When we were here three weeks ago, it was just before the break. Uh, it was a bit lamentable. Yeah, the there's of. not enough
5: anger or enough ridicule, frankly, um, for this to be really sort of successful um, theme for him. Um, without, you know, frankly, a few better phrases than he's managed to deploy so far.
2: A couple of things which are coming through. People posting comments on uh, who are watching on YouTube. Uh, the fuel cut, uh, the fuel duty cut, didn't really work. The retailers trousered the money, so Saragon. on them. That's, I suppose, a concern if you tax, this is one of the arguments on the windfall tax, you tax the oil and gas companies, they just pass it on and people don't or then the government gives you money off your energy bills, so the energy companies just put the bills up even even higher Um, uh, Barry says, how can he scaremonger this is Boris Johnson, how can he scaremonger about tax rates whilst being the biggest tax raiser of recent times? Well that would
5: be a good line for Keir Starmer to use, wouldn't it?
2: Yes, well let's find out if he will Uh, This is PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio Uh, This is question number three from Keir Starman
6: he just does not get it, does he? <laughs> he he, he does not actually understand what working families are going through in this country, struggling about how they are going to pay their bills. Yeah. And whilst he dithers, yeah. British households are slapped with an extra £53 million pounds on their energy yeah. bills every single day. Yeah. Meanwhile, every single day, North Sea oil and gas giants Raking 32 million pounds in unexpected profits, doesn't he see that every single day he delays his inevitable U-turn is going to do it? He's choosing to let people struggle when they don't need to, yeah. Mr.
7: <laughs> Mr. Speaker. He's. He says that uh, this government uh, has no sympathy uh, for people who are struggling and working. Let me let me tell you, it is precisely it is. Well, let me tell you what we're already doing. Uh, We're we're already spending 22 billion pounds. Uh, We're already helping people with the cost of living uh, in any way that we can, Mr. Speaker. But the reason the reason we can do that is because we took the tough decisions to get this country uh, through COVID, uh, to make sure that we came out of lockdown in the way that was necessary, and to have a strong economy uh, with robust. Uh, with robust employment growth, Mr Speaker. And we, we will continue to take... And he talks about cutting taxes. In July, we will have the biggest tax cut uh, for 10 years, £330 cuts for, for 30, on average, for 30 million people who are paying national insurance contributions. And the reason we can do that, Mr Speaker, is because we have a strong and robust economy. I'm going to look at all measures in future to support... Uh, people. Of course, of course I am. But the only reason we can do that, the only reason our companies are in such robust health is because of the decisions that this government has taken.
5: I was repeat of the last, last exchange. Well, not even as interesting as that. I'm <laughs> to say. Um, let me tell you what we've already done. I'm afraid I switched off at that point. Um, I mean, it's, yes. I think that, you know, the public does sense the government tried to look after them over COVID, but I think they were a hell of a lot less persuaded that, um, that they're really doing, I think Boris Johnson said, all we can, you know, the, this debate is going on precisely because, you know, it's not all they could do. Um, the question is what's the best, uh, mechanism for doing more? Um, and the government's not even disputing that it needs to do more. Um, the argument is over what that thing is. Um, so that sort of slightly contradicts the prime minister's line. Um, not that he'll let that trouble him.
2: And once again, and we've we've talked about this a lot before, is that, you know, for all the criticism, and people posting comments online, Boris Johnson not answering the question or talking about something else, Keir Starmer's not really smashing it home, is he? You know, inflation at the highest level of for 40, 40 years, uh, with worse uh, to come. Uh, people struggling to pay their bills, energy prices going up. Uh, this this should be like
5: ripe for an opposition. It should be. Um, and, you know, there's a with a, with Boris Johnson, there's always a, a sort of opening with, you know, is the bloke really in touch with um, the punter? He's been reasonably successful as a politician because enough punters are persuaded that he's kind of a bit like them, even if he's completely different from them. Um, but Starmer's sort of, he doesn't get it and all this kind of approach. It, it There's not a lot of emoting from him either. Um, and... Do we sense it, that he kind of really it, feels it in exactly. the way that you would? Sounds, you would have known that Neil Kinnock did, or John Smith did. It or, does sound even Ed Miliband actually. Ed Miliband you know, is, that, is that sort of. Ed Miliband sounds really angry every time he, he does know, now. Perhaps, perhaps too much. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He was. But, yeah,
2: he gave a good. But, uh, um, he, he did a um, in the Commons earlier this week. Uh, Ed Miliband had quite a strong performance. I
5: suppose, it, and some the, good lines attacking yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunak. Some actually funny lines um, that, that blended the anger and the humour and. That's just what we're lacking a little bit. It is bit slightly now. lacking.
2: Keir Starmer slightly always gives the impression of someone who's been told by someone else what's happening,
5: and he's sort of passing it on, you know... And he's very concerned about it.
2: Yes, it, that sounds... But I was told it sounds awful. Anyway, uh, this is Matt Charlie on Times Radio with Visa, supporting your small business on their digital journey. Let's go back to PMQ's Unpacked. Keir Starmer.
6: Mr Speaker, still pretending the economy is booming, still got his head in the sand in the middle of an economic crisis... The Prime Minister keeps saying more help is coming, but we've heard it all before. Yeah. May the 13th, he stood there and said, We will do more right now. Yeah. A week has passed and there's been nothing. nothing. On April 19th, he stood there and said, We will do more as soon as we can. A month it? has passed and still nothing. 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 The Chancellor said, Wait until the autumn. At least he's honest that the plan is to do nothing but doesn't the prime minister realize that working people across the country can't afford to wait while he vacillates
7: it's time to make his mind up yeah. vacillates of
2: course what a jones I'll, I'll tell you words. what's
7: happened uh, uh, in the last month uh, we've got 300,000 more people off welfare and into work on our on our on our, on our way to work program mr speaker and, and it is and it is Uh, because we get people into work, that those families, those people are £6,000 a year better off. It's by getting people into work that we fix the long-term problems of this economy. His answer, Mr Speaker, his answer, in addition to putting up taxes, his answer is to borrow more. We heard it from the Shadow Chancellor this morning. She says she wants to borrow almost another £30 billion. That's what she says. Now, do you know what that means, Mr Speaker? It means more pressure on interest rates. It means pressure on mortgages. It means pressure on every, every family, every man, woman and child, in this country, Mrs Speaker. That's that's Labour economic policy. That is why there's never been a Labour government that left office with unemployment lower than when it came in. And that's the reality.
2: Um, Some people on uh, YouTube, uh, Tim, are saying that that was a better question, a better attack from uh,
5: Keir Starmer. Well, I think it was building up to be, and I wanted to hear more of it, personally. I mean, that whole nothing theme... The plan is
2: to do nothing. If nothing, ha- nothing, nothing.
5: Yeah, and if he'd had four or five of examples of that, and he'd got some a bit more... I mean, there were people behind him beginning to say nothing. Yeah. If he could have built that to a crescendo, that would have been a good TV moment. Yeah, yeah. A good one for, for putting on Twitter and, and, and the social media stuff. Yeah. Um, Interesting to hear Boris Johnson's response there, um, talking about borrowing another 30 billion quid and that, you know, putting up interest rates and mortgages. I mean, Boris Johnson's policy... uh throughout this government has been to borrow more and rather than you know and it's Rishi Sunak who's persuaded me yeah, to yeah, pay yeah. for some of these things you know that's Labour economic policy well it's also Boris Johnson's <laughs> economic policy um the interesting thing is that there's this constant tension and debate between the Chancellor and the Prime Minister which is what's playing out again at the moment um in what they do and how they do it um and that's what you know people like me are Attempting to delve around um, to find out what's really going on, but yes, it's very interesting to hear him suddenly get religion about government borrowing.
2: Um, the interesting thing, but um, I mean, yes, I take your point about the building up the nothing, the nothing thing. It's, it still comes across a slightly barrister. It feels a bit like someone working through some evidence rather than, like you said, capturing a moment. You know, and in a way, maybe, maybe that's reflected in the, the local election results. That there's an ex, the, the public aren't very impressed with what the government are doing, which is why the Tories had a bad time. But Keir Starmer's just a sort of commentator on all that. He's not capturing the moment.
5: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, um, you know, he's performing the role a little bit that the Lib Dems used to perform back before the coalition. You'd get sort of Vince Cable or Ming Campbell going on the telly to effectively provide commentary between the other two wicked parties (laughs) and sort of strike them, you know, sound like the reasonable person. Now, that's obviously what Starmer's got to do to a degree. But we're at the stage of his leadership where people want to see a bit more passion and a bit more sense of who he is, um, in addition to looking sort of responsible and sensible and and not being jeremy corbyn which is what his uh you know initial purpose was uh
2: somebody on uh youtube saying watching rich people on huge salaries arguing about the poor people perhaps they all sort of thought about uh before, before they all voted through their own huge wage increases I mean, technically they don't do that although they did get a pay rise um uh, several people are as well saying they suppose northern ireland hasn't come up is that because labor doesn't want to talk about brexit still could well be yeah well we'll see uh, so the last question now then uh, from kiss starmer
6: Mr Speaker, on the day when inflation went to 9%, the highest for 40 years, I think the watching public, the least they can expect, is a Prime Minister who concentrates on the cost-of-living crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, he just can't make his mind up. Yeah. So let's have a look at who's for it and who's against it. Yeah. On one side, the Chair of Tesco, the Chair of John Lewis, mm. the Chair of the Treasury Select Committee, the Chair of the Education Select Committee, Lord Hague. Lord Brown, the old CEO of BP, all support a windfall tax. Yeah. Even the current boss of BP says it wouldn't discourage investment. And on the other side, the member for North East Somerset. When he's not, when he's not sticking notes on people's desks like some overgrown That's, uh, prefect. Jacob talking about. Is dead set against it. When is he finally going to get a grip? stand up for the people of
7: Britain and get on the right side of the argument. Mr Speaker, look, nothing could be more transparent uh, from this exchange than their lust to raise taxes on business. Uh, Mr Speaker, we we don't relish it. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. Of course we don't want to do it. We believe in jobs and we believe in investment and we believe in, in growth. And as it happens, the oil, companies, the oil companies concerned are on track to invest about £70 billion uh, into our economy over the next few years. They're already taxed, Mr. Speaker, at a rate of 40%. What we want to see is investment in the long term energy provision of our country, which, which they've signally failed to do, by the way, cancelling our nuclear power investment. He talks about. People who are suffering from high energy prices in this country today, Mr. Speaker, have previous Labour governments to blame for that mistake. And of course, of course, we will look at all sensible measures, Mr. Speaker, but we will be driven by considerations of growth, investment, and employment. And I just remind you, Mr. Speaker, that unemployment's now hit a record low, or for 50 years, I should say, and employment is now. I think half a million people more now in paid employment, uh, payroll employment, than there were before the pandemic
5: began.
2: That's so about uh, Like everyone else, my math isn't uh, quite what it I should be. I didn't like that, to say that was only question number five. Now I think so. In a microcosm, the problem with Keir Starmer's attack, rather than saying uh, uh, why don't you get on with it and tax the oil and gas companies and cut people's bills, he says get on the right side of the argument. That's his big
5: flourish. Doesn't make. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. We'd really like you to join conventional wisdom and, and it's great wisdom. Yeah, I mean, though you've got sort of Boris Johnson performing pirouettes as well. Um, you know, he says they have a lust to raise taxes. I mean, bold of Boris Johnson to stick well, lust into any so, sentence. As someone but, has
2: pointed out, uh, in the 2019 election, the Tories promised, uh, Boris Johnson even signed it off, we will not raise the rate of income tax, VAT or national insurance. And they have done it.
5: They have. Um, they broke that pledge. Um... But he says Labour have a lust to raise taxes and then effectively in the same breath admits that they're looking at doing it the same. I mean, the way I read his most recent answer there was that the energy companies are on a pretty short leash. He praised them, said they're sticking 70 uh, billion quid into the economy. Um, I don't know what figure the government have in mind, but they certainly want to see more. Um, And I think what you've effectively got is a message today that... Um, unless they pull their finger out and turn that into 100 billion or something similar, um, they're going to get hit with this thing. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of clips there now with Boris Johnson uh, having a pop at the concept of taxing business um, because people will be able to portray that as a tax on jobs. So if he does do it, he's now. Um, is, you know, is what's, actually happening is,
2: what's actually happening is, is that they're trying to find a way to get some money off of big companies, which will
5: not be Keir Starmer's windfall tax? I think that's probably correct, yes. But they also want. Um, you know, they're using it as a stick to beat the energy companies who have lucked into a lot of profits. But, you know, given it, it, it all fits together, you see, you know, you've got Ukraine going on, we need to be more independent of Russian oil. And they're basically saying, come on, you've got all this extra money, let's start, you know, pushing it forward. That will help growth because the way out of a stagflating economy is to grow. And if they can, you know, if they can use the threat of attacks to, bash these companies into sticking some more money into the economy, which will help jobs and help growth, um, that's a virtuous circle from their point of view, and that yeah. will have performed a, more good than having stuck the tax on them uh, in the first place. Um, well, let's see. Uh,
2: having said it was the last question, this now really is the last question. Uh, from so
6: he's on the side of excess profits for oil and gas companies. We're on the side of working people. And there you have it. But he clearly doesn't like me pushing him on this. No. But the reason I keep coming back to this subject, and why it's so frustrating that he hasn't acted, is because so many people are living through this nightmare, and they feel totally abandoned by their government. This week I spoke to Phoenix Halliwell. A rare kidney condition means Phoenix has to do dialysis from home 10pm to 7am 7 seven da- for five days a week just so he can take his daughter Rosie to school. His dialysis is life-saving, so he can't turn it off. So even though his wife, who is a midwife in the NHS, works extra shifts, during the winter they had to turn their central heating off, and Phoenix skips meals to make ends meet. But their energy bill has still doubled. Phoenix says, He feels like he's being priced out of existence. Mm -hmm. And it's not just him. Millions of our disabled, elderly and vulnerable Mm neighbours are at the sharp end of this crisis. They simply can't afford to live with dignity. The decisions we make here matter. The cost of indecision is enormous. People across the country need action now. The plans are already there. The Prime Minister, stop the delay. Work with us to put them in place. Do it for households that face bills they can't afford. And do it for Phoenix, who simply can't afford to wait.
1: Uh,
7: Mr. Speaker, I'd be grateful if you could send me the details of the the sad case because the NHS, the NHS, the NHS. the NHS does cover the costs of those who are on uh, dialysis, Mr. Speaker. But if you send me, I mean, uh, and by the way, of course, they voted against the vital investment uh, in the NHS uh, that, that, this, that this country needs. And I just remind remind him in the House of the key key point. None of this is possible. The investment in the NHS isn't possible. The 22 billion uh, that we've already put in isn't possible. The further investment that we're going to put in isn't possible without the strong economy that this this government and this country has delivered. And it's because we took the tough decisions that I have uh, mentioned uh, that we have record low unemployment, or record low for the last 50 years, Mr Speaker and, we are, and this Queen's speech that we've been debating is about putting in the, the infrastructure the skills, the technology that will build the continue to build the platform for growth and jobs in this country, and that is what this government is committed to, to doing, and that is the best way out of economic problems, and I, I thought it was fantastic by the way yesterday to see her Majesty the Queen open uh, Crossrail. Uh, uh, 72,000 jobs that has already delivered, 90 billion it will produce for the whole of the UK economy. Well, well, let me just ask the Right Honourable Gentleman, who was the Mayor of London uh, when Crossrail uh, was first, first started to be built? Mr Speaker and who was the Prime Minister who completed it uh, Mr Speaker we get the big things done Mr Speaker there's never been a Labour government that left office with unemployment lower than when they began That's Blimey well there was a lot
2: to, uh, to unpack up there just um, starting where we, we finished off there on the subject of crossrail how, quite how we got from dialysis machines to crossrail is, is only in the, the mind of, uh, of how PMQs works um, uh, Boris Johnson there boasting about Crossrail opening. He was mayor when it he started being built. a big project. And it was, he was Prime Minister when it was finished. Uh, Jessica Elgott from The Guardian pointing out that uh, Ken Livingstone was the mayor of London when Crossrail got the green light from Gordon Brown. And, of course, uh, it's only Boris Johnson as the Prime Minister when it's finished because it's taken so long and been so over budget that it should, in fact, have opened under the last <laughs> Prime Minister. So, you know, that's politics for you, I suppose. Yeah,
5: that's politics, uh, you know. Uh, Boris loves to build uh, even when he's not the one doing the building.
2: Although it was interesting that, and I suppose it once, once, and you know, Jeremy Corbyn was famous for doing this. Once, once you raise a, an individual member of the public at PMQs, he did a slightly different tack. But Boris Johnson was there not only across the detail of some of what the support is for the NHS, but took a slightly different tack.
5: Uh, or even... well we've talked about it before haven't we the simple thing to do is say, send me the details and we'll see what we can do yeah. and it takes the sting out of it a little bit I mean it was a, you know it, uh, as these examples go it was a pretty good one I think and, uh, but again to, to, to sort of reflect on what you said earlier there was a slight element of that Starmer had been handed a piece of paper that he was reading out he said he'd spoken to this guy it didn't really sound like he kind of embraced the whole emotional meaning of what he was saying and
2: and it, it it's it's not it's the it's the it's the landing that killer thing. It's the repeating the thing when the Tories are good and you know, you can argue about whether or not they are covering in that place.
5: Well sometimes they're good when they're very, very bad.
2: But the 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 uh you know, take back control, uh get Brexit done, that was repeating back to the public the things that they were saying. And there's a slight feeling sometimes that Keir Starmer's using a slightly different language to the public.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, all parties um, test their messages um, um, and Labour will be doing the same but um, they haven't really been able to crystallise a pretty major issue into something that um, resonates yet with yeah. um, a broad base of the public um, and that is the art of politics. Uh, <laughs> someone's been in
2: touch, uh, John on uh, on YouTube saying I've got to tell you, here in the Red Wall, Crossrail is all we talk about. So there we are. Yeah, finally, finally London getting some much needed investment in transport infrastructure. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?